0: Um, my favorite living mom is out in Iowa with her mom today. In fact, she has uh, a younger brother and sister and an older brother and sister, and all five of them are together today with uh, their 92-year-old mom. Uh, So quite a Mother's Day treat for my mom-in-law. And uh, anyway, it's great to be with you. Man, it seems like ever since I've uh, been up here preaching, Scott did a a great job, and she hung, and of course, last week, we were together for um, the Lord's Supper. Jane and I had the opportunity to visit uh, uh, six of our grandkids uh, down in North Carolina, Virginia. We got in three birthday parties. Uh, our oldest grandson became a teenager, and that was cool to be with Chael. And then the next oldest uh, turned 11, and we got to watch him play a couple of ball games, baseball. And uh, he's developed into quite a ball player, so that was cool. And then uh, um, my daughter's, our daughter's youngest, just turned one year old. And uh, so a one year birthday party and uh, you remember how those go moms and dads and grandparents right and uh, so anyway it was great to be away but it's always good to be back and um, man what a what a day to to preach again on mother's day now i have not preached do not have today a mother's day message for you but certainly we're going to be talking about the family we're going to be talking about marriage and uh we're going to probably touch on divorce uh, if we get that far down the text but um folks i i preach the material that's in first corinthians chapter 7 and get started in that today we're going to take three weeks in this chapter uh you all of a sudden as we'll read through together the first nine verses you'll recognize that uh, we are dealing with some heavy subjects here some subjects that not everybody agrees on some subjects that our culture has taken a completely different direction than we the church based upon the truth of god's word have and so that makes it a little difficult and uh, not only that because of what of our culture encourages pushes promotes lives And don't even think about it as anything different. It's just the way life is for many people. Um, You know, it's come right into the church as well. And um, that is what makes it really difficult. Because many times um, these aren't truths that are easy to talk about because even God's people take a different position or choose to... uh, think differently about some of these topics came across uh, an article in april of this year 2021 christianity today was entitled first comes love then come house keys the article is about uh, cohabiting and uh, the statement the headline of that article was cohabiting is the new norm for many evangelicals that at least means believers and uh, read that article as it's reporting the way things are and sharing some statistics and a couple of those among evangelicals who are currently cohabiting Not about cohabiting just in case you're not aware of that term Uh, we're talking about those who live together And in many cases, most of the time, also sleep together. And uh, that's cohabiting. Only 14% of evangelicals who are currently cohabiting were engaged. And only 21% had definite plans to marry when they moved in together. Uh, Often the thinking is that in order to test compatibility or the success or lack thereof of marriage Um, the thought is that by living together there will be a lot of opportunity to learn more about each other and so forth and uh, that would be what has been typically viewed as a reason or rationale to support that suggesting that cohabitation reduces the risk of divorce however The National Survey of Family Growth, which, by the way, is a secular study. A secular study. Many times we quote Christian studies and researchers that are out there, and sometimes people feel, well, of course, they inject their own perspective on that. Well, not with research. If it's real research, there's not a perspective. Comments can be made about the research, but here you have a completely secular study who said 45% of the marriages that they studied that first resulted from cohabitation had already resulted in divorce. 45%, almost half. But for evangelicals who never cohabited, 79% of those marriages were still together. And the article went on, went on to talk about how pastors around the country are grappling with how much to fight this trend. And I read that statement and I, and I and I I was ready to fight. I mean. So where do we get the answers? What about living together before marriage? What about sex before marriage? What about sex without marriage? If we're engaged, does that make it okay? What is God's plan for marriage as it relates to the sexual relationship? What if our marriage doesn't work? Is there a way out? How do we know? Where do we get our answers? Well, I was thinking about that, and to many of you, of course, the answer may be obvious. Well, of course, we get them from the Bible, and yet churches all over the country don't seem to understand that. And so I went to our statement of faith that we have online that had been put together as part of our Constitution, that which declares what we believe from the Word of God, And the statement of faith says this, We believe the Bible is the final authority, final authority for judging what we believe, what we believe, and how we should live. Now, if you are a member at Heritage Baptist Church, that's the statement that you have agreed to when you became a member, that the Bible, God's word is the final authority, the bottom line. When everything else, opinion, preference, uh, majority of what others believe about in our culture doesn't matter, the Bible is all that matters, the final authority for what we believe and how we should live. It is God's word that matters, and that's it, period. And herein lies much of the problem as it relates to sex before marriage, sex during marriage with somebody other than your spouse, or we call that extramarital and premarital, but herein lies the problem as it relates to that and or divorce. Either we don't know what the Bible says, haven't taken the time to discover what God has told us in his word, or if we have, we simply don't believe it, we don't like it, we don't agree with it, so we don't obey it. And you may have heard people say, when you argue, when you talk to people, Uh, well, listen, here's what the Bible says you may say, and then their response is, well, doesn't really matter to me what the Bible says. Now you say, well, of course, those would be people who don't know Jesus, who aren't believers, who aren't followers of Jesus, and yet that's true. Certainly their response, we would expect nothing else, and yet, folks, that is also the response from many believers today. Or it may be, well, I know what the Bible says, but I'm not sure I can do that. Or I don't want to. So what does the Bible say about marriage? We're gonna look at that over the course of the next couple of weeks. And uh, open your Bibles with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter seven. 1 Corinthians chapter seven. And uh, we will at least get through the first nine verses. And probably a little bit into verses uh, 10 to 16 as well but I'd like to read verses uh, 1 to 9 of 1st Corinthians chapter 7 for you and so you follow along with me as I read 1st Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1 now for the matters you wrote about it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman but since sexual immorality is occurring Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman with her own husband." That's pretty clear. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift. Another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Quite a text. And powerful stuff. Necessary stuff. Truth. That we as believers have right before us, which is in many ways very clear. So, we're going to look at these verses and kind of if we were to outline it, I would say it, do it this way. uh, Kind of a two-point outline. First of all, uh, in the first nine verses, well, we talk about what about marriage. First nine verses, sex and marriage. And then verses 10 to 16, marriage and divorce. Not real Uh, ...creative, and yet that's what's there in the text. So as we look at the first nine verses, sex and marriage... ...verses one and two, now for the matter you wrote about. Understand, you remember when we began to talk from 1 Corinthians... ...we said that there were four actual letters... four letters that were written, uh, and we have two and four. But what we know that is when he says, now for the matters you wrote about... There was a letter that the church, the believers, wrote to Paul after he left. We don't have that letter. We don't know what that letter said. We can gain some understanding by listening to what Paul says, how he answers. It helps us to kind of get an idea of what it was that the Corinthians were asking. It's kind of like when you overhear a phone call, right? It's like you're only on this side. You have no idea what's being said. Of course, speakerphone is an easy way to go these days. But but without speakerphone, you sometimes can figure out what the conversation is all about by listening to the person who's responding and what the answers are that they give. That's kind of where we are in understanding what this letter, now for the matters that you wrote about. And the church wrote to Paul with questions. You remember we said back at the beginning the first six chapters had to do with Paul's response to those of the household of Chloe. A group of people from that household had contacted Paul and said you need to know this is what's going on. The first thing that the household of Chloe informed Paul was was that there was disunity in the church. And we spent four chapters uh, quite a number of weeks the first four chapters looking at that idea and 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 then verses five or chapters five and six also were part of what paul had heard from the household of chloe but now things take a little bit of a different uh, direction here now for the matters that you wrote about the church had written a letter to paul and asked some questions, made some statements, and Paul is now responding. And the first thing he's responding to is right here in verses 1 and 2. When we read, and notice in in some of your translations, not all of them, it, it should be, but in quotes, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Some of your translations may say it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Well, you know, we're not talking that literally like just touch, but it, it is as translated here, at least in the NIV and a number of other translations that you would recognize. That is talking about a sexual relationship of a husband and a wife. That's where Paul is. And he's taking that quote and he's basically saying, Okay, you said it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Is that true? And Paul's ready now in the following verses to answer that question. And of course, the answer would be, yes, but. You see, you have to remember, verse 2, this is what Paul says as he goes on. He says, but since sexual immorality is occurring. Now, we've seen that in chapters 5 and 6. We talked about that with incest happening in the church that the church hadn't dealt with. And Paul said, you got to do this. And then, of course, we got to chapter six, and Xi dealt with that a couple of weeks ago and talked about what, what that immorality was going. And of course, Corinth was full of religious prostitution and otherwise. And, and these were believers who had been saved for three or four years or less, and they had been used to that lifestyle, and all of a sudden now, they're saved. They're believers. They've been transformed. They're now the dwelling place, the temple of the Holy Spirit. See, this is all what Paul has built for us. And yet some of them in chapter 6, they were still involved in, in more relationships, prostitution in the church. Not the church is sanctioning that in any way. But but that was the question and so that's what first the end of chapter 6 was talking about. So now that's there and Paul is saying, "Yes, sexual immorality is occurring even within the church." So then it is good that you do not have sexual relationships Outside of marriage. And that's what he does. He goes on. Each man then should have relations with his own wife. And each woman with her own husband. Now here's the issue. You see some of those new believers. Now thought that because they were new believers. They should no longer be in a sexual relationship. With their husbands or wives. You say really? Well yes that's what the. The culture had been, and they wanted to make such a break that they thought, well, now that we're spiritual, now that we're followers of Jesus, this isn't anything. This is of the body. This is a fleshly fleshly thing. We shouldn't be involved in that. And that's why Paul says, no, listen, you need to understand that you need to have relations with your husband with your wife that is what scripture says in fact he goes on down into verse 3 the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife that's what Paul had just said sexual relationship and likewise the wife to her husband the wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband that wouldn't have been in that day that big of a deal for them to hear because that was the culture how do you think if we broadcast that on the page of the Scranton Times tomorrow? <laughs> We'd have all kinds of letters to the editor, right? Because that wouldn't fly. And then we get in, in Paul's day when it says, in the same way the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife, that was countercultural for them. That was not the man culture of the day. That's not the way it had been set up. So for Paul to talk equally about the wife and the husband, that's a big deal. That's a difference. The church, you want to talk about equal rights? There it is. Long before it became an issue in our culture. Jesus addressed it. Husbands, wives, you're the same. And, And he says it's important that you recognize that. The sexual relationship is an indication of the one flesh relationship that God told us back in the book of Genesis, repeats it numerous times throughout the word of God, that the two shall become one. That's the picture of marriage. Now some would look at this and say, Paul seemed to have a pretty low view of marriage, didn't he? Because he's telling these believers, the only reason you ought to get married is to alleviate sexual immorality. If you're having problems with self-control, you better get married. Well, that's not a reason to get married, folks. And let me just say to you that if there are marital problems, sexually speaking, let's say if there was an impure heart and mind before marriage, marriage doesn't solve it. Many times we have been involved with, uh, I have specifically over the years with students at the high school and college 11. One of the things is they deal with that or even as, as men and women deal with that today as adults. One of the things that many times is thought, well, all they need to do is get married, then that'll solve it. No, it won't. There's all kinds of pornographic problems in marriages today that existed before the marriage started and maybe they thought that it would be solved once they got married that's not the problem it's not the sexual relationship it's the heart and the mind that's what needs to be fixed and that's what paul's talking about it is important that it's not a low view of marriage Nor is he suggesting that marriage is only about sex. In fact, you have to understand, and I'll say it the first time here, but we'll talk about it many times throughout this, this text, and that is simply this. We need to understand Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. This is an occasional letter. All of Paul's letters are occasional. It doesn't mean occasional as in once in a while. It means occasional as there is a specific occasion circumstance, purpose for which Paul is writing, and the occasion that he is addressing has to do with the letter, the question that the people wrote to him about, it is good, it, it is good for a man not to have relations, sexual relations with a woman. Is that true? And Paul is answering that question. You see, Paul isn't giving a treatise on marriage. 1, Timothy, or 1 Corinthians 7 is not a marriage manual. That's not what it is written. It is written to correct misunderstanding and misinformation about immorality in the church, about sexual relations with, of individual people. And so he's responding here. So he says, if you are married... Sexual abstinence is not an option. In fact, it is imperative. It is critical to the health of your marriage relationship. Jane and I have done, I don't know how many, different um, married couples' marriage counseling before the wedding, as has Paul. Paul. And uh, one of the things we always talk about is the sexual relationship because it is critical to a healthy marriage. And many times people, especially younger people, when they're getting married, think that, oh, you know, we just need to get married. We don't need to understand that. I mean, isn't that just a normal, natural thing? I mean, they may say, I've been fighting that for years before I got married. How hard can it be? And yet, no, there's understanding. And how do you say, well, Paul addresses that. How do we know that? Because because this is what they thought. Now that we're saved, we need to abstain from that because that's more of a fleshly thing. And Paul says, absolutely not. Now, I'm telling you what God says in his word, folks. This is critical. So Paul says to them, no, I'm telling you, do not deprive each other. Of that physical relationship except, he says, and he lays some conditions. He says, except it be, there as he says in verse 5, by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. In other words, do not withhold the relationship. Married couples, you understand what that is to withhold. Sometimes to get what you want, and it works both ways. Sometimes because you're angry and upset. Sometimes you use it to hold over your spouse's head. Paul says, do not deprive each other. Do not withhold. You see, that's why he earlier had said, the wife has does not have authority over her own body. The husband does not have authority over his body. It's a mutual thing. And so Paul says you do not deprive except when it's a mutual agreed upon thing that you're willing to say, okay, for this time. And again, temporarily, for a brief time, temporarily. And he says here for prayer. So that you can give yourselves to prayer. Some translations add prayer and fasting. Probably the best just prayer. But the idea would be for a good reason to build your spiritual thing. But he goes on and he says, however, as he's reading there, the end of verse 5, then come together again. Why? So that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Don't give. Satan an opportunity in your relationship, husbands and wives, by withholding the sexual relationship that God says is necessary for your marriage. Now, folks, I, I have to tell you, I don't mind talking to you about this at all. I've been talking to high school and college kids for 40 years. I don't know how many times I've been in trouble. I had a mom call me one Sunday afternoon when we talked about it in uh, a church where I was a youth pastor on a Sunday morning in our Sunday school, and I had a mom call me and say, thanks a lot, you now have caused us to have to have a conversation with our daughter that we never intended to have till years down the road, and she was already 14 years old. And I simply said, listen, If you think that she doesn't know what I was talking about, you're mistaken. And and moms and dads, you have the responsibility to teach your kids these truths. Because if they don't hear it from you, chances are, first of all, they've probably already heard it on the bus or in the school or in the locker room, or at McDonald's, or uh, wherever else. They need to hear it truthfully, biblically, from you. Because this is what scripture teaches. And it is a given thing anymore. I know a few years back, 70% of high school graduates had had been involved in a sexual relationship. Across the board, 70. percent So if you don't think that that is something your kids need to hear about, you're mistaken because it's happening all around us. It's happening in the church. We deal with it, Pastor Paul and I regularly. We we see it, we come face to face. And Jane and I as we do our premarital counseling, it used to be that we would save to the very end, the last time before we got into the planning of the astral service with the couple, that premarital counseling, we wouldn't have the sex talk till the last session. Probably, I don't know how many years ago, Jane and I decided, you know what, this is now gonna be the first thing we talk about because there's a good chance that the couples that were, that couple that's sitting right in front of us who are both claimed to be believers have already been involved in a sexual relationship And so I asked them flat out. Have you been involved sexually, physically? Are you still involved sexually, physically? Because if so, we're not going to continue on in this counseling relationship. Nor will we do a wedding at our church until you stop and separate and maintain purity. Because that's what God's word teaches it is very clear in scripture uh, paul goes on in verses six and seven i say this as a concession not as a command i wish that all of you were as i am but each of you has your own gift from god one has this gift that another what's the concession what's paul saying well some feel it went uh, it's referring to what he just said or some feel like it's referring to what he's about to say I take the just said, I think when he talks about a concession, I think that he's saying the temporary abstinence is probably the concession. Now, I'm still learning and always ready to learn more and be taught, but I think that's in the context more what he's, he's been going down those lines and he says, this is a concession. I, I could look at it and see that marriage itself as a solution to immorality. That may be Paul's concession. Again, because Paul is not saying that sex is only about marriage, that you should only get married if you can't control yourself sexually. That could be the concession, because I believe the point of what he's saying, whichever direction he's going, is that marriage is not mandatory. And we're going to talk about singleness probably in a couple of weeks, so singles Hold on and, and, and grab hold. There's some things here even in our text today. Uh, but the point, marriage is not mandatory. Listen, your spiritual status does not determine the level of, your, uh, of your, your, your marital status, excuse me, does not determine your level of spirituality. You see, at this point, some thought in the church of Corinth as new believers that if they were single, they were more spiritual than those who were married. In fact, when we get into divorce a few verses down, one of the reasons why they were asking questions about divorce is because they thought if we get divorced, uh, we'll be more spiritual because we'll be single. And we'll talk about all of that singleness and what. But Paul is going on, as he says here really, singleness is a gift, and Paul had it. He says, I wish that all of you were as I am. What? Single? But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this and another has that. And I believe that's what Paul was talking about. Singleness is a gift. But he goes on to verse 8. He goes, now to the unmarried and the widows. Okay, singles, here we go. I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do but if they cannot control themselves they should marry for it is better to marry than to turn to burn with passion and there again where that may be the concession the marriage again because he says it is better to marry than to burn with passion he's saying that to those who were unmarried and widows now you say well why does he mention two different ones aren't the widows unmarried why can't he says say to the unmarried Well, there is some thought that the unmarried, the way the word used there is about those who are unmarried because they've been divorced. That is a possibility. I don't think it's the probability. I think it's just the general term that's used here for unmarried people. Whether it be they've never been married or whether they were married and divorced or whether they are widowers or then the widows. Either way, they're single They're without a spouse at this point. And Paul says, I think it'd be great, it'd be better. He says it's good for them to stay unmarried. Now, that's not good spiritually. That's where some people misunderstand the text. They think, oh, I'll be more spiritual if we stay unmarried. That's not what Paul is talking about. He says, it is good. It's a good thing to be unmarried. But it is not a more spiritual thing. He also says it is a good thing to be married. And it is a good thing when you're married to have regular sexual relations with your spouse. That's what he's talking about. And again, keep in mind, Paul's letter is an occasional response. He's responding to the questions that were asked to him. And uh, again, this is not intended to be a marriage manual. He gave a great treatise in Ephesians chapter 5 about what Paul thinks about marriage. You want to know how important marriage is? You want to look at that First Ephesians chapter 5 verses 21 to 33 you'll find out that Paul does not have a low view of marriage in fact he probably has a higher view of marriage than most married couples today because he tells us that it is the picture of Christ's relationship to the church wow now that's another message but it is critical that we understand as paul is talking he's answering he's responding to what's going on in the culture and the question that the corinthians have so more about singleness next week but he says to the unmarried and the widows it's good for you to stay that way but if not then it's better to marry than to burn with passion now let me let me just stop here Folks, as our families go, as our marriages go, so goes the church. If we don't have strong, godly, pure, biblical, holy marriages, our church will suffer. And if we have believers who are not yet married, who don't have a problem with sexual relations with one another, we will have a weak church because that's sin. Scripture's real clear, we've just talked about it and in in many other cases, we could show where that is true. It is critical that we have strong marriages that we have purity within our church. We've been talking about that already. Paul has addressed that. But it is critical, not that we just have purity amongst our singles, but that we have strength and biblical marriages, holiness, and the right kind of physical relationship in our marriages, if, in fact, those marriages are going to be everything that God intended them to be. and this is not the direction our culture is going actually it hasn't been for quite some time and we need to strengthen one another and i would say to you as husbands and wives today here's your here, here's what you ought to do is to go home and man it's mother's day so you take the lead you take the lead anyway you're the head of the home That's what Paul says about marriage in Ephesians 5. And you have a husband and wife conversation and you have communication because that's what a marriage requires as well. And as it relates to the physical relationship that Paul is addressing here, communication is critical for that to be everything that it needs to be. You need to talk about the physical relationship. It will be uncomfortable. If you've never done it before it will be one of those things but I'm telling you it will be an amazing help to you and your relationship as husband and wife because that's what God says is necessary for you to have a healthy growing alive spiritually strong marriage so talk to one another about the physical that's critical. That's what, I, I think that's what's key if this is going to happen. Because when Paul says you, you, you only withhold when, when you have a mutual agreement, that means you've talked about it and together you've agreed what you are or are not going to do. It is impossible for a Christian husband and wife to provide a biblical picture of what God says marriage is about as it represents the relationship that he has with us as believers without a healthy physical relationship. Can't be. Because God says we are one. Let me just say, God's holy people must become what they already are. We've been saying that all along, and that, that is critical in, in what we believe here as it relates to this. Paul's answer, every man, every woman needs to give themselves to one another. In, one of my, stu- in my study this week, one, one of the authors, uh, maybe there's a message that I listened to, talked about the fact that we ought to try to outdo each other in submitting to one another. Now, men, that may be harder for you than for your wife because you're the head of the home. But Ephesians 5.21 talks about mutual submission. We submit to one another, and then Paul gets into the marriage teaching. But I would say to you today, in our marriages, God's holy people must become what they already are. We need to portray Jesus Christ. And marriage is a beautiful thing that God put together back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And his plans are clear. And when we follow those plans, we experience the joy and the fullness that God intended for every married couple. Singles, hold on widows, unmarried. There's a lot here for you that, that Paul has in this text and we'll get to that in the next week or two. God's holy people must become what they already are. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we talk about purity in marriage the sexual relationship in marriage God all around us it's a a mess we can't just look around and look for examples God help us as the church to be the kind of model and example of what a married relationship ought to be as we portray a picture of Jesus Christ and his relationship to the church. Father, thank you that you give us direction. Thank you for your word, for your truth. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.